children's church, kids of the fifth grade, back to children's church. <clears throat> Do appreciate your singing, and I know many of you, uh, some of those words resonate. I know they do with me, and oftentimes you'll get lost sometimes, and that's the, we are blessed to have songwriters that would put uh, wonderful words with music, and oftentimes uh, what we're singing during the service goes right along with what we're talking about in God's Word. That is definitely a blessing. I want to thank you in advance for your patience over the next several weeks. I do think it's exciting. Um, I want to tell you don't be shy about inviting visitors to come even though we'll be meeting in the gymnasium. I think there's a sense of excitement of health here at Calvary and we are blessed to be able to update our sanctuary facility uh, for our worship services but it really is telling of the uh, individuals that are here that have a heart for serving God, for worshiping individuals that have had a hand in this. It's been a lot uh, of process, and I'm so thankful for the many uh, dozens of people, honestly, that have been involved in this process. So be patient, but come and be part of the excitement as we continue to worship our God and have Bible teaching just on the other side of this wall right here. We will have all all the doors unlocked, so you'll still have um, access if you're in a wheelchair or need to not climb steps That'll be fine. And we also will have um, our regular ABF hour following. So not too much changing, just a little bit of the decor. All right, let me ask God's, for God's blessing one more time as we open his word. Gracious Father, we praise you for the opportunity to open your word, to look into it for what it means for us. We thank you that it can change our lives for the central message of the gospel of Jesus Christ but then how we are able to walk in this world in a way that reflects that change. I thank you specifically for the teachings of your son, Jesus. I thank you for what he said when he was here in this world and how it was recorded for us. And I praise you that we can examine it so that we can uh, live better for you in our lives. Bless this time now in Jesus' name, amen. There are different stages of life that will bring different challenges. Sometimes you're ready for these. Perhaps you have talked to someone who's been down that road before, and so you're able to get a jump on that. You've been given a warning, or possibly you've been given some counsel. Sometimes different stages of life hit people by surprise. I am entering um, a stage in life that has a big potential for a big problem, and it has to do with a problem for my children. As my kids, the age there are, they're both approaching that college age, and I'm probably not informing you of anything you don't already know, that college debt is a major problem for so many young individuals that are just getting started with their job or getting started with their marriage, and they are hung with this maybe $100,000 debt. And so as I am able to look at that, I have spent some time in the past months pointing out different individuals, some of you actually in this room, who have already been down that road, have had your kids go through college, and ask what you did to avoid this major anchor that might hold them down from freedom that they will need financially when they start their young adult life. I've gotten a variety of responses back. Um, I've known some parents that just worked really hard to make sure their kid was good at sports so they get a, a sports scholarship. Well, that's not going to work out in my household, unfortunately. No offense to my kids, they're great. And so, but they're not going to probably get a full ride for any sports scholarship. 
There are some scholarships for grades. There are different options for work. There are different classes that you can take. Even um, you can combine classes. There are so many things you can do to avoid that huge problem of this huge debt. And I likely will be coming to some more people asking them questions. What did you do? How did you approach this? I have not asked anybody who has not had a young person go off to college yet. I've also not asked anybody that I know of whose young person has $100,000 of debt. That doesn't help me. That's not helping me meet my goal. But an individual who has been in that potentially dark place and they were able to get a solution, able to get some light, those are the ones that I want to hear from. And even if I'm approaching something in an ignorant way, I love it when someone who's been down that road before can come to me and can say, hey, watch out. Or hey, I've been down this road. Here's something that will help you. As we look into God's word today and we look to the teaching of Jesus Christ, we are going to see some folks who have something coming up something that's a difficult road that is ahead of them, and Jesus Christ gives them some wonderful encouragement. But as he does that, they're going to have to accept a difficult road that is before them. He doesn't say it's going to be a piece of cake. In fact, he tells them there's going to be difficulty involved. What we'll see in God's word today are two ways that he wants his sons and his daughters to have influence over others in this world that are in a dark place. Two ways where, if you're a Christian today, God wants you to have an influence over others. Now, we have spent some time going through the Beatitudes. They all start with blessed. And there was a wonderful uh, series that we did going through the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes end with this teaching here. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So you need to understand that Jesus said blessed or happy. Happiness comes to those who are persecuted for the right reasons. And really, that means they are following all the Beatitudes that precede that one. Persecution is going to come. And I want you to keep in mind the audience here on the Sermon on the Mount. In the audience, Jesus gathers, and there's a huge crowd that's listening. But I believe, and we've said this, that the main audience were those 12 disciples that Jesus had. And so with that in mind, I want you to understand that these 12 disciples are heading down a road where where they are going to be persecuted for the right things that they do, for following after Jesus. But what we're going to see today is that it doesn't have to be all persecution. In fact, with what Jesus is about to tell them, he says persecution is going to come and you're going to be blessed if you are persecuted But oftentimes you are going to stand up and do the right thing. You're going to have the right message and you're going to be able to not get persecuted by some, but there will be some who you are able to influence. They will actually see the light and the joy that's in you and they will change. Isn't that nice? that it doesn't have to be persecution all the time from everyone. Now, those disciples, the ones that follow Christ, they are going to face persecution, and 
they are going to have incredible influence to change their world as God uses them primarily to begin the church. And so being persecuted is not the only option they had and being persecuted is not the only option you and I have. Persecution will come, but I'm gonna challenge us today with that next teaching of Jesus Christ that when you are living the way that God wants you to, you can have influence over others that are around you. And today we're gonna see two kinds of influence that Jesus speaks of. All right, do you wanna see what they are? Sure you do. All that to bring us to our text, Matthew chapter five. If you're not already there, turn to Matthew chapter five. And we're continuing this wonderful series of Jesus teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll just cover uh, uh, verses 13 through 16 today. Remember Remember the audience, the disciples, these who would be persecuted, and these also would have great influence. And then we'll begin with verse number 13 of Matthew 5, where Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And so we need to understand that right away we are getting a statement of fact. It is a a goal of mine that I never say anything in my preaching or in my teaching that I have to apologize for later on. And as I approach this statement of fact, I, I ask myself, have I said this wrongly before? Because Jesus Christ does not say you need to become the salt of the earth. He does not say, if you're a Christian, put it on your to-do list. Become salty. What does Jesus say in this teaching? He says, you are the salt of the earth. And so this is a statement of fact that we find him giving here. So keep that in mind. And even as you move forward, don't say, I'm going to try to become salt Jesus says, if you know him, if you know Christ as your Savior, then you are the salt of the earth today. Jesus gives the identity before he gives the expected behavior. Reminds me of our study in Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians, we found those first three chapters that talked about who you are as a child of God. And then the last three chapters talked about what you're supposed to do if you're a child of God. Here he gives our identity before the behavior. Now, this specific word picture is a little bit tricky, trickier for us today than it was in 36 A.D. or 33 A.D. or 30 A.D. This picture of salt made a lot of sense to them. There, is, uh, there was a saying, a Roman expression, where they used to say, there is nothing more important than sun and salt. Because they lived in a day before what? Before refrigeration. If they were to go and get meat, they had to eat it right away. They couldn't stick it in the deep freeze. They couldn't put it in the refrigerator. But they did have a process for um, preserving meat. And that process was surrounding it with salt. They would take salt and rub it on that meat. The only way they had to preserve meat was to salt it. So keep that in mind. As you hear the words of Jesus Christ telling these followers, you are the salt of the earth. It's a a preservative. That's where Christ is going with this. 
It was so important that one Bible teacher, um, actually John MacArthur, says that salt would be part of someone's salary. They would get um, some coinage, they would get some money, and they would also get salt as part of their salary. That's how important it was. He goes on to say that the expression, he's not worth his salt, that's where that comes from. Someone would get paid partially in salt, and if someone was said he's not worth his salt, that's where we get that expression. That might be debatable, might not be, but who am I to argue with that wonderful teacher? We are not told here that we are to become salt, and if you look in verse 14, we're not told to become light. The Christian is salt. We are light. The real issue is going to be what influence are you having as salt? Now here we have a negative and a positive with salt and with light. And we'll talk about light in just a moment. As salt, we are to delay corruption in the world. Let me ask a question. Do you think that believers, the believer's presence in the world delays the judgment of God? I think it does. I think our presence here, our presence in our homes our presence in our country. I think that God takes a look at that. I think that he recognizes it. And we can see some examples in the Bible. We can look to uh, 1 Corinthians, I believe it's 7.14, where it talks about a husband and a wife and how there might be some delay or there might be some help for the spouse who's unsaved that's married to a believer. We can go back to the Old Testament and look at Sodom and Gomorrah. And how many, how many believers, how many followers of God did God want to see in Sodom and Gomorrah for him to spare the entire city? How many was it? It was 10 when they got to the end, right? And he'd spare the whole city if he could find 10. I think that you and I in this world are, are here to help delay judgment. You are here so that you can be around individuals that are walking around that need the message of Jesus Christ and you are one that can give them that message. But you're going to have to be salty. This first influence may be more private. I said there's two applications of influence. This one of being salty, I think, is more private. Just as the salt would be rubbed into the meat to preserve it back in that day, there are going to be opportunities for you to connect with someone, maybe one-on-one, maybe in a small group. And you will have opportunity to connect with someone and let your saltiness spread into their life. I can name individuals that have looked at me and they saw a need and they poured into me. And I want to suggest to you that if you are the salt of the earth and the Bible says if you're a child of God, then you are, you need to determine how much influence you're going to have with what God has given you. You need to be salty. You need to be looking for that maybe one individual that you can influence. And if you've lost your savor, Jesus says what good that salt is for. It's not good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled under the feet of men. My mind went right to a path that people would walk on. And they don't want weeds growing on that path. And so instead of being used for the purposes that God would have you as his daughter or as his son, you can still be used, but it might just be to be trampled under the feet of men to kill weeds. That's not the goal that we should shoot for. 
God will still use us in some way, even if it's as a bad example to others. But make no doubt about it, you are the salt of the earth. He's teaching us that we are here for a purpose, to preserve and to act as a light that can expose um, the light of Christ to others. Let's look down at the next two verses, verses 14 and 15. It says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And so here we see, for the child of God, you are the light of the world. We are not to try to become light. We are not becoming light. If you're a follower of Christ today, you are the light of the world. This morning I was out walking and there were uh, two parts in my walk that I recall. When I started, I could not see the sun. It wasn't quite up yet. I had to walk in the shadows uh, for the first half, more than half of my walk. And it was colder. And there was just something different about it. And I can remember when I made a turn to walk back towards my house, heading towards the east, and the sun just bright on my face, causing me to close my eyes. But I didn't cover it and I didn't turn away. I closed my eyes and I lifted my chin and I let the warmth of the sun shine on my face. There's something very sweet and special about sunlight at the right time. And I want to suggest to you that there is something very sweet and very special about the light that God has called you to be. Now, these are two different kinds of influence. One is a more personal, private kind of influence. You need to have that. It might be with your kids or your grandkids. It might be with a coworker, someone who needs your encouragement. You need to, on a small basis, be pouring into someone, being the salt of the earth to someone. But this idea of light is bigger. It's a bigger idea. And Jesus gives us a wonderful word picture here where he says when you light a candle, it is to give light to everywhere in the house. I tested this this morning. I had one light on that I use as I'm going over my notes for my sermon, and it was off to the side over in a corner, and I could read my notes as I was seated by that lamp. And I turned that off, and I went and I turned on one light right in the middle of the room and carried around a paper. Six different rooms I could read in from the illumination from that one central light. This is the idea Christ is giving. You are the light. Get yourself in the middle. Get yourself up high. Allow yourself to expose as many as possible. This is a different kind of influence when you are going to be able to have an impact on several, not that one-on-one, but on a group. When Jesus Christ talks about the light here, it means that we need to shine the light of God in dark places this is our mission god did not save us and take us up to heaven to be with him he left us here to be salt and to be light because people will never be able to hear and find out about jesus christ as their lord and savior unless they are told by individuals that have the light of christ within them who is the light christians You are the light. God has no other plan. The plan for lightness 
Well, for light to jump into darkness is for sons and daughters of God to spread that light of Jesus Christ. He's not going to send the angels down to preach it. He's not going to go some other method of getting it. He has given the gospel to men and women who have received it so that we can shine that light to others. Darkness cannot impede darkness. Outside of the testimony of someone who knows the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, they will never be able to learn about the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. I'm getting preachy. I know it. This is what Jesus says to them. This is what Jesus says to you. You are the light of the world. You have a mission. How can this assembly of Christian lights have an impact, have an influence? Well, I want to suggest that collectively we can have a different kind of impact. One person standing as tall as they can and shining that light as far as they can will have an impact. But when we have two that get together, and then when we have ten that get together, and we're intentional about being some kind of a light in our community, the darkness of the community cannot ignore it. They will see what's going on in that place, and they will see the light shining in all different directions. And they, when they are asking those tough questions in life, they will look to those individuals who have the goodness that has been put inside of them by Jesus Christ. We can accomplish more together. I was talking with a couple of folks from our missions committee in the past uh, week and a half. And we are partnering with our missions committee and our church, really, with a young lady in our church. She is, for her birthday, celebrating by raising some money for Lakata ministry. If you're not familiar with Lakata, they help out um, uh, women who are in a bad home situation, maybe a, an abuse situation. And ladies can take their children and go to this home and get some protection and get a meal and a place to sleep. And one young girl in our church saw this and has a heart to do something for it. As I talked to a few of our missions committee folks, we said, well, how can we help out? What can we do? And so I'm letting you know right now, you can partner with this one. You know what you got to do? You got to bring in your pop cans into the church this coming Friday between 4 and 7. I think that's the time, between 4 and 7. We'll make sure we have that information here in our office and something on the bulletin board. You see, we've got one individual. They want to change their world for the good. As we, as a collective light, get together, how much more can we do? I drink a lot of pop. I can really help out. I know that for a fact. Maybe you can bring by your cans, your bottles, and help out. This is us being a light in our world. It's one of a thousand ways that a church family can shine as light in their world. Let's go ahead and look at verse 16, and then we'll be done. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine. You're not letting your own ability shine. It's not what Christ teaches here. He doesn't say, listen, if you are really um, talented and you've got a whole lot to offer and you, and you know, you're built, so imagine your resume of life. If you've got an awesome resume, then you're going to be able to have, have an impact. 
Now, God can use people that have a great resume, no doubt, but that's not where Jesus goes with this. Where Jesus goes with this is he says, you are to let your light shine to men so that they can glorify the Father when they see your good works. And that's not talking about what you were able to muster up on your own. That means you are living a moral life, doing your best to please God with the choices that you make, with the words that you say, with the way you spend your time and your money. And as you are doing that, other men will see it and other women will see it and they will glorify God. You need to believe me when I say they will be searching someday. Those individuals who would mock God and mock even your church today, there's a day where they'll be asking the important questions. Is there life after death? What's my purpose in life? And you are to be salt and light. This is why holiness matters. People that are in darkness are not going to be drawn to a forgiving God by you demonstrating darkness. There was, there was a philosophy around churches years and years ago that was kind of a join them to win them philosophy. We've got to be like them. And when I say that, I mean doing things that are sin in the eyes of God. Join them to win them because the ends justify the means. And many people have tried going down that road and people that are in darkness are not going to be attracted to God by darkness. They will be attracted to God by your light, by you being different. And they may mock it someday. Jesus Christ said, you're going to suffer persecution. And he also says, when you're faithful to do this, that you can influence others. Don't you want to influence others towards Jesus Christ? I know you do. I know you don't want to keep this message to yourself. And it's not that you're so great. That's not why they would come and ask you the questions. And you need to not portray it that way. And, you know, we connect with folks in a, in a local church, and a lot of people look like they have it all together. But the longer I'm around, the more I realize that every one of us who comes in the doors of this place is broken in some way. And the longer I get, hear people's stories, I find out this is their history. This is how they were broken. This is what they've got to overcome. And God is faithful. And God's plan is to use every son and daughter for him. So you don't have to look like you have it all together. In fact, one of the best mental pictures that I have of this is the, an old expression that what we are doing when we are telling someone else about Jesus Christ is, honestly, I am just one beggar who's telling another beggar where I found some food. That's the idea. Hey, are you, are you a beggar? Are you jobless and homeless? Hey, I'm in that same place, but I found some food. One beggar telling another beggar where he can find an answer to his problems, and that's what you are. Every one of us is a wretch, as the song says, Amazing Grace. Every one of us has nothing that we did that God looked upon us and said, I gotta have that one in my family. Not a one of us was good enough. We were all equally sinners before God and God in his mercy allowed us to have this gift of salvation and Jesus Christ before he ascends up into heaven says you are 
the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, there are individuals who love to read and to pick it apart and maybe try to disprove it or attack it in some way. There's one potential area here that we find with that verse 16 that might seem like a conflict with chapter 6 and verse number 1. Look at chapter 6 and verse number 1, if you will. We'll be down um, to talk about this in more detail weeks down the road. Chapter 6 of Matthew says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have your reward from your Father who is in heaven. And yet, chapter 5, verse 16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works. Do we have a conflict in the teaching of Jesus Christ here? No, we don't. When we look at these, we have to ask this key question. What is the motivation for why we want someone else to see what we're doing? Is our motivation so they will think well of me? So I will be a more popular person. So I will get some kind of recognition. Is there something I'm motivated by where I want somebody else to see this great thing in me to help me? Or is it what is said in Matthew 5, 16, so that they can give glory to God? I think there's one illustration that I'll close with that hopefully will give you some help with this. The earth that we live on is governed by two main lights. We have the sun and we have the moon. Beautiful. Sometimes we'll see them at the same time if we're out in the day at just the right time. But even though they might have some similarities, they might seem similar in shape, they might uh, both give off light, there's only one of those two things that actually has any light in itself. You never hear the expression, the dark side of the sun. You never hear that. Because there is no dark side of the sun. The sun has light. The moon, in and of itself, has how much light? None. It has zero light. And yet, we can enjoy its beauty. And we can see it from so far away. Because the moon acts as a reflector of the light of the sun. And when you are going to have someone see your good works, keep that picture in mind. What's going on here? Am I wanting them to think that I actually have this great light within myself? Am I, am I doing these things? Is my motivation so they will think well of me, who we have no real light in ourselves? Or do we want them to see the reflection of the light of the sun? That's what it needs to be. That's how we can be salt. That's how we can be light. Jesus tells us the motivation is so that they can give glory to the Father. What can we do with this? What are you and I able to do? Well, number one, go after one-on-one opportunities to influence. I was meeting with one of our church leaders last night, and we were talking through this. We talked about, I said, well, I've probably got maybe about 35 years left. And he said, wow, I've never really broken it down like that before. That's, that's rough. How many years do you have left? Some of you have more than others. Don't be nervous about that. We've got something great waiting for us. Be nervous about if your saltiness has lost its savor. 
What's God going to use you for? He'll use you for something, but work hard so that you can be used in the way he wants you to. And one-on-one is how individuals will receive a message about Jesus Christ. And your life has to match your message. Be salty. And then what else can we do? We need to be bold by allowing God's goodness to shine to as many as possible. Get in the middle. Let your light be high and shine to many. Join together with others. Together, the light will be so bright that people across town will say, what's going on over there? And you will not say, "Ah, yep, been working on that one for a while. You will reflect the light of God, and you will say, praise the Lord. Give glory to God, just like Jesus told his disciples to do. And as we close, understand that Jesus was talking to these men who were going to face persecution and were going to have influence. They would have influence one-on-one and they would have influence to large groups. And the world around you, even though the Bible tells us they may hate you because of your message of holiness and of following Jesus Christ, they may persecute you, but keep this in mind. The world around you is completely dependent upon followers of Jesus Christ to hear the message of salvation. There is no other way that they will hear it besides the gospel being given by someone who has that message. It might be by word. It might be through a gospel track. It might be through some kind of a a different connection. But you being the influence and the verbal manifestation of the gospel of God is exactly what Jesus Christ wants. Be salt and be light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do come to you with this request that you would allow us to understand what Jesus said, that we are salt. And would you open the eyes of individuals here, maybe put a name on their heart, those hearing this message today. Put a name on their heart of someone they might pour into. It might be someone they're already close with. It might be someone that you've brought along their way. Allow us to see the importance of spending time pouring ourselves into another so that they could see your glory. And God, would you allow us to not be afraid to make ourselves vulnerable enough to join with others? I understand that vulnerability. I understand that we make ourselves open to criticism. Would you allow individuals to see that your plan for lights joining together to be a bigger light to the area around them is a good one and to not be afraid of it? God, you are so good to us and we thank you for your patience with us and we thank you for the days and months and years we have left to spend being obedient. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm going to ask Anna to play through just a quiet song on the piano. And as she does, I'm going to ask you to pray. Maybe you're here today and you have never accepted Christ as your Savior. You can pray even during this time and say, God, forgive me of my sins based on the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Make me your child today. And he will. Maybe you would have someone come to your heart and mind right now that you could pour into or an opportunity where you could join with others to be a light. Pray. Pray.